You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, company culture coach and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create progressive company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations, thought leaders, and change makers about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. This season is sponsored by Semco Style UK. The Semco Style framework is a practical approach which helps organizations create a human-centered workplace and brings a proven method to enable you to shape how people experience work. Whether you're looking to transform your business for success, become more resilient to the challenges of an ever-changing world, or create a culture that delivers more engaged people, the Semco Style methodology can help you on your way. Are you ready to discover the tools to transform your organization? Visit semcostyle.co.uk. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive. We are now in the heart of season 11, as we've been getting under the bonnet of organizations who are doing things radically different. Each guest has been chosen for this season because of their unique approach to how we shape the workplace. They're not only intentional and mindful about the workplaces that they are shaping, but they've also been giving us guidance and inspiration about what action we can truly take if we're to make work better for everyone. Before we dive into this episode, I wanted to share another piece of work that I've been working on in the background, and it's something I would love your feedback and suggestions on. In 2021 through to 2023, I conducted a grounded theory research project on the impact of COVID-19 on workplace culture. My intention was to really look at how COVID had shaped the workplace and more specifically, people's desires and beliefs about work. Had this major global catalyst changed the way we think about work forever? That was what I wanted to really understand. And the reason for doing the research was not only to shape my own work and continue to be relevant to the clients that I serve, but also to add a piece of the puzzle about why we need to change things as they are. I was really hoping to publish the research in a book, but unfortunately publishers didn't deem my research to be quite as a hot topic anymore. Um, As you can imagine, trying to conduct a research project around existing work is quite a challenge. And so a lot of publishers that I outreached to felt that my topic was now out of date. People don't want to hear about COVID anymore. So I'm not sure what to do with this research. I want it out in the world because I believe that it really puts a light on things of what people want from work and more specifically, the seven key themes that I've identified that are really important to people when it comes to what they want from work. Some people have suggested I self-publish and some people have suggested I maybe do a webinar series. But if you have any ideas about how you'd like to see this research come to life and how I can really present it in the best possible way so that this information can be shared and made accessible, I would love to hear your thoughts. So do reach out to me, whether that's through LinkedIn or drop me an email, as I would really, truly appreciate any feedback. 
now on to today's episode. Today I have the honour of chatting with co-founder and executive director of Cuba Dilly, Maho. Maho is a luminary in the realm of social impact and development and skillfully blends agile methodologies, design thinking and innovative strategies to make a tangible difference. She thrives on projects that involve co-creation, which is where we really hit it off because as many of you will know, I am a big advocate for the power of co-creation. Maho and I met through our Semco style community that we are both part of. And that's one of the benefits of being in this global community. And we really wanted to share, you know, how self-management and being more progressive has enabled them to create more social impact through their work and how this cross-sector collaboration and entrepreneurial innovation really comes to life when you work in this way. So if you are particularly interested in social impact and collaboration, I would highly recommend staying tuned because I feel like Maho has so much wisdom and insight to share about how their ways of working really helps to bring this to life. So let's dive in. Hi Maho and welcome to Make It Thrive. Hi Lizzie, so happy to be here. Thank you. So it's really exciting to have you on the podcast and especially because you're coming from Argentina as well, a a different country to where I'm currently sat in (laughs) and a very different culture. So why don't you kind of introduce yourself first and the business of Cuba Dali and what it is and what it does. Perfect. Um, okay, so as you just mentioned, yes, I am in Buenos Aires. My name is Maria Jose Griloni. Um, well, I come from, my background is in communications. Um, for many years, I have been working in the social sector um, since I was 16, more or less. Um, also, very early in my career path, let's say, I have a, like a very international journey. I lived in, in different countries, like in, in Canada, in France, in China, in many, many places. Um, and my passion uh, always has been about innovation and building things somehow. Um, in this journey, I came across agile methodologies uh, and other innovation frameworks or innovative frameworks. Um, and well, in, in that journey, I was part of a wing, a nonprofit that works with technology for the social sector. And we were using agile and technology, combining them. And it was there that we created Kubadili, um, an organization, a nonprofit that I co-founded with two other friends. And well, I guess I can tell you more about that later. Amazing. Thank you so much. And so something a bit unique about Kubadili is that it's self-managing and you are working towards this way of being so much more democratic. And something I always find really interesting um, as you're a co-founder as well is, you know, what was the catalyst for you guys to choose self-management or this way of working? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Okay, first let me tell you a little bit more about Kubadili so our listeners have that context. 
Um, so as I mentioned, Guadil is a nonprofit, and our mission is to enhance, enhance, enhance yeah, the impact of organizations, governments, and philanthropic funds. We do that by facilitating the identification of uh, their challenges and co-creating ways of working to increase their value generation. Um, we do this supporting basically their teams um, and, and kind of our, when people ask me, well, well but what do you do, you know? Uh, so we basically facilitate spaces, multi-stakeholder uh, round tables. We, dis we help NGOs to design products and services for them to monetize and get incomes. Um, well, we help also the leadership to be more um, this, uh, horizontal or whatever they want to experiment um, and, and yeah and that and we are um, this, a distributed team we uh, are 10 um, members like we are staff and then we have a hundred coaches around the world um, and now we just going uh, to this question of um, self-management um, I would say that our that the catalyst somehow for, for us, um, it was already in our DNA since, um, since we have been working with Agile methodologies for many years uh, before creating Kubadili. And some, in somehow once, from my point of view, once you've witnessed uh, the potential of this way of uh, self-management, you cannot simply ignore it, you know? <laughs> It's like, well, it's there, you know, it's like that elephant in the room that everyone is <laughs> seeing it. Um, so I would say that um, it was already there. Like we we had to, uh, from the beginning, we had to, to start that way. And also I would say that um, there was something, as, as I just mentioned, that we had a hundred coaches. Well, we have actually a hundred coaches, coaches distributed we had to create a, a space or a way of working that it felt uh, comfortable for them also, you know, mm. in the way of operating. Um, so, yeah, that was like something um, key for us, that these people are, were already working in that way, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I would say that. And was it through sort of, you mentioned about the ad, agile methodology that you guys had been kind of using prior to self-management. Is that where you kind of first came across self-management or was there kind of like a light bulb moment or a revelation where you kind of stumbled across this way of working and you thought, oh, this is this is what we need to do more of? Yeah. Um, so we, before creating Kubadili, we, I was part of Wingu, um, that is an NGO working with technology uh, for other NGOs, and we were using already these frameworks, you know, somehow. And also for creating new stuff, we were using other frameworks, like, let's say, design thinking, um, yeah, like kind of that, that kind of um, method. Um, so we were already experimenting that, you know, and, and we had very good results with that. So when we started Kodili from zero, because at first it was the first employee, you know, one of the co-founders and uh, employee, um, we started with that mindset. Amazing. So it's almost like you were kind of self-managing before it really had a label by the sounds of it. 
Yeah, definitely. Defi actually, you know what? It's interesting because I feel that now, seven years <laughs> ago since we started, uh, is that we are kind of starting to tell our story of self-management thing. Before, um, it was our way of doing, you know, and, and, and still today it's our way of operating. It's like natural for the team members. Um, and it's interesting because I feel that right now we are starting to to kind of build a narrative around that. That uh, and yeah, about, around that. Amazing. And it sounds like it was kind of in your ethos and within your belief system as you took that jump. And so many people that are maybe you know in a startup or starting their business or in that stage where they're looking to do something new. Sometimes it takes a lot of courage to kind of try something that's a bit different. Um, you know, how did you kind of take that jump and have the courage and what would you maybe share to other founders considering this way of working? Interesting. Um, yeah, well, I would say that in my case, um, it didn't involve taking a huge leap into the unknown no because for me the jump is uh, this idea of doing something completely different I, I feel that in my case it was rather something very organic um, like a progression from something that was already happening uh, but we kind of uh, designed something new in that path um, yeah, for me, when, when we talk about a jump, sometimes it feels like daunting, uh, almost too challenging for, yeah. for me to undertake, I would say. Uh, so um, in my case, I didn't really jump. Uh, I would say we evolved somehow. Um, and yeah, I, I think we started something new, yes, but it was uh, intricately connected to something that was already existing or were already existed. Um, this made the process much more organic and manageable somehow, no? um, allowing us to mitigate risk, to do some experiments, to grow organically, I would say. That uh, would be my first answer. But also, um, I would like to add um, how important it is uh, to make a decision like the decision and take action. I, I feel that those are like two crucial steps toward creating something new, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I feel that sometimes we feel, we find ourselves kind of paralyzed by overthinking, mm. at least in my case, uh, unsure of which is the path to choose. Um, and I think that there's some such, in such moments we have to... Um, simply outline a plan, identify those crucial steps, um, and, and and go for it. You know, um, so I would say I would add that that sometimes I feel that I don't know where to start, and I just need to clarify my mind and understand. Okay, what is when I, I want to do, and which are the the actions? You know, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, so that's a very yeah. practical approach there, Maho. <laughs> I like it. Very actionable. <laughs> and very practical. Well, that is something also I would say, like to be very practical, you know, because sometimes, uh, well, as I just mentioned, we just stay in our thoughts. Uh, that is the recipe for 
not doing anything for sure. Yeah, we get stuck in this place of inertia, don't we? Because it feels so overwhelming that there's so much to do. It's kind of like, oh, actually, I might decide not to do any of this. And I'll just leave it a little while longer because I don't know which step to take. But like you say, just just choosing, you know, one thing, one experiment, like you've said there, and just trying to play with something first is such a great way to approach it rather than being overly strategic all the time and planning everything down to the minute detail. Definitely. Well, the the idea of uh, experimentation for me is crucial, you know, like, uh, okay, what, especially when you find a, a concrete problem, okay, what we can do different to solve this in a self-management way, how we would approach this, you know? Yeah. And I think there, um, there's a way, a, a door, a door that we can explore, a window that we, which we can start somehow trying, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. I was reading something the other day where it was, you know, I think we need to stop thinking in like absolute terms. And it's really interesting because it was about how actually if we were more curious when we were facing problems and we we came at it from different perspectives we might learn something new and kind of challenge our own thinking so I love the way you framed it there where it's like you're putting things through the lens of self-management and that's such a great way for other companies to experiment with this you know like you said if they have a problem how could they approach this through the lens of self-management and and apply an experiment? So I feel like that's such a practical way to kind of play with this, you know, when it does feel really overwhelming. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. And especially I would add there to identify who are the people that already have that in that mindset, no, that, that possibility of doing experiments, like, and you know, like, for example, I, in our team, it's very clear who is, we have a team that is more the, the, the team that uh, works, uh, runs the, somehow the structure of the organization, and they have a different mindset, although they are very good with experiments. And there are some others that are more, you know, like ideation, more creative, although both teams have um, these characteristics, because it's not that they are completely one side or the other. Um, I I think it's important to identify the right person to to run these experiments. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That really is key. I suppose talking about the team, you know, we've kind of mentioned how how you and the founders kind of embraced self management. But from a team perspective, you know, that's one thing that a lot of companies are quite fearful of. You know, how do we introduce this way of working to other people without completely scaring them away? And, you know, everything we know about traditional ways of working is kind of being turned on its head. So how did you introduce the team to self-management? And, and can you talk us through that kind of experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, I would say that... Um, we have several uh, strategies somehow about um, about self management. Um, one is uh, first of all choosing the right member of the of the team. You know, like before when, when we start, uh, make sure that we uh, are choosing the the right people somehow, um, that they have this mindset that I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the the second one would be um, 
in inertia in the sense of when someone uh, joins us, I feel they quickly uh, observe our organizational way of doing things. And I feel that this creates a sort of inertia, but in the in the good sense, because many times we talk about the, the inertia in a negative way, um, as a force that naturally uh, encourages newcomers to adopt this uh, unique way that we have of doing things. So that is would be like the, the second uh, part. Um, another um, important, um, yeah, Thing that we have is the coaching community. We have a community of coaches available to help with the specific situations, providing like guidance uh, depending on what the team member needs. Mm. That is very, very valuable for us. Um, another um, item that is crucial is the internal training. Like we are all the time teaching a within our team, um, the things that we already know and how we do things. So we do that constantly. Um, furthermore, uh, another is uh, the uh, ongoing kind of learning, like continuous education, not in-house, but outside, like they take courses and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> And another uh, item that is uh, important is the constant evolution. Uh, I mean, if we are doing uh, things in a way and that is not working, okay, how we can do it differently, you know? And many times those, those new practices uh, come suggested by, by the newcomers some, sometimes, uh, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> And now we are working also in a because we we have understood with the past with the yeah with the, with the time that this is not enough. So we want to we are building our kind of culture um, handbook, you know. Um, so it's like a manual with the outlines of all the most important things of our practices and and expectations when you join the team. Um, so I would say that um, our approach is. Um, implementing, um, sorry, our approach on implementing self-management has um, a, many ways of building it, you know, mm. like many pillars, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, an, it's not only a constant learning and an evolution, but you're always iterating, you know, how actually can we bring more of this into things? How can we add more to this so that people are really getting our way of working and I think that's a really good you know way of addressing things is we can get very um like rigid and stuck in some of our processes and how we roll them out and we don't really want to be retrospective about what's working and what's not working but actually that's that's the whole point of this evolution piece that you were talking about is actually we we need to constantly reiterate to make sure this is still relevant for everyone coming on board yeah it's interesting because um you know like once you got to a point and you feel like well we have <laughs> running huh? so you uh, bring more people and it's like okay we need to restructure everything you know <laughs> Okay, we have to change our roles and our, uh, and I feel that there's a, like a kind of mini crisis that is everyone starts realizing, you know, that we need to change again. 
Yeah. Uh, but for me, it's like wonderful. I always bring like cheer the thing, you know, like, hey, this is going to be complicated for sure because we don't know how we're going to do things. But this is great because we are growing. We are doing things in a better way. So for me, that is like, I, I really like it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm, I think I'm the same as you. I get really energized by that change of like, oh, it's like a rebirth again. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it's like that seasonality of the work you do you have to kind of let some things like wither and die and kind of drop their leaves and then other things it's like oh this is time for regeneration we can kind of bring some new life into this process or into into these particular practices and so I think I get the same as you I get really energized by changes (laughs) it's interesting and also I like this word that you use the regeneration it's interesting because in this process, I feel that we go meeting new people that are, do things differently, you know? Mm. And in the way, when we don't find the answers, we, I, in my case at least, I go to these new people that I go meeting, things, thanks to this, the, this way of organizing, uh, and asking them, hey, how do you do things, you know? Yeah. So because we have this challenge, this challenge, um, uh, there's something there about seeking external guidance mm-hmm. in our you know, other organizations that are close that do things similarly yeah. that I think that enrich our approach, you know, and it's interesting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because that's one thing I've always said many times, um, and I'm sure many people on this podcast have heard me say it, how how open the community is of those who are practicing sort of more progressive ways of working. And they're so willing to have a conversation about challenges. And it just feels like you're so supported all the time when you're on this journey, because you think, um, oh, you know, I'm struggling with this, but maybe I can see who who's done this before and can offer me some guidance or support and it's even funny I was you know I've got a client at the moment um and they're looking to expand into India um and you know I was really fortunate because um again in this community I know someone in India who's doing self-management so I was like oh let me introduce you so it was just just the richness of this community is is such a blessing I think and and you've really hammered on that point you know that it's you're not on this journey alone there is so many people around us doing it who are just wanting to make work better and the world better through this this experience yeah definitely so we've talked a lot about kind of the the team and how you're kind of adopting self-management but how does self-management help you deliver value to your clients because I feel like that's an area that maybe doesn't get picked up on a lot because we talk a lot about how it is for us as an internal perspective how we experience self-management but I feel like the one factor that's often missing is actually this helps us I feel deliver better value to your to clients so how how does that look like for you how how would you experience that mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. For us, first of all, it's very complex to um, to deliver value in a sense that we are um, a core group, as I just mentioned, a core group of 10 members, like the staff. And then we handle projects uh, all around the region, Latin America. And we do that and also, um, well, now uh, the United States and Europe, and we are starting. Uh, and we do that with 100 coaches distributed across um, more or less 10 countries 
with, with wow. a lot of different cultures also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is a, like a, a unique, for, from my point of view, unique set of challenges that yeah. we have. <laughs> uh, and also how we uh, deliver value in this diversity, you know, and, and also the diversity that we want to have in our approach. That is something also very important for us. Um, so one of the, the, the keys uh, in our work is that uh, we are a decentralized organization and, and structure. No? So we are always thinking how we design for this delivery to be decentralized. So um, one of the key for us is, um, I, will, I, will, I will say, like minimal directives uh, and maximum support somehow. Mm. So uh, when we work with that, for people to know, we have around 15 projects monthly running, you know. Um, so we, what we do is we provide um, only a few essentials directives for the coaches to set things and, and well, and things start and then we have like um yeah robust support kind of um mechanism let's say uh, for our coaches um that is one of the things the the second one is that uh we have developed we call it the kubadili seal somehow that embodies a uh, distinct uh, style of guidance and, and coaching that for us, it has worked um, like very well. Um, and one of the yeah, challenges that we had uh, when scaling is how we maintain uh, this, we, we call it this seal, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that for us is so crucial. Uh, so we have systematized uh, this into actionable and repeatable steps that ensure a consistent and high quality service experience for our, our allies. We call it allies because as we are in a um, kind of systemic change because we are an NGO, we work with NGOs, governance and philanthropic funds and it's part of a systemic uh, change that we are looking. Yeah. We don't talk that much about clients, we talk about um, allies. Um, so that's the second uh, issue, the Guadili seal, that we are very proud of that. Um, then the third one would be like the, well, lean guidelines, guidelines, uh, as I, I mentioned, um, and always very centered in this, um, this guidance in how we deliver value. Mm -hmm. for, for us, it's the most important thing, you know, like how we make sure that we, we are offering to these organizations and government teams is what they need, you know? It's like a custom service somehow. Um, so yeah, that it would be like um, how we uh, deliver value to, to our clients. Yeah, and I, 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 I love that point that you're picking up on there about, you know, we really focus on the need because I think that's really important. That can get really lost so often in, in internal politics because people are grappling with the traditions of a rigid way of working that they kind of lose sight of what they're actually delivering and the value they're trying to create. And so, like you said there, you know, at that core focus is really what what is the need and what are we offering to to support this to provide value so i feel like there's such a lesson there for so many companies yeah it's interesting you know because although we have this idea of user-centered or um, always 
building things from there, many times we forget about that, you know, yeah. like because the same with experiments that we say, no, we need to create MVPs at first for new products and services. And sometimes we, all of a sudden we start like building them and we say, oops, yeah. <laughs> in a very not agile way, you know? Yeah. So, it's interesting because these things happen all the time, even with an organization that everyone has the mindset, you know. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So mm-hmm. what is the next phase of evolution in your journey? That's what I'm really intrigued to know, because you're clearly really embedding and living this this philosophy. So what's kind of the next evolution on the journey? Um. Yes, we are uh, constantly, as I mentioned, doing experiments and trying new things. But I would say that the next big steps um, that we are kind of designing now is, uh, we call it, it's an experiment called the empty uh, chair. Um, The the questions that we have is, what would happen if we were um, to operate without an executive director that actually is my current role? how could we collectively make decisions and move forward? And we have this idea of the Scrum Master, you know, that is designed yeah. to, to become less essential in a well-functioning uh, team. So how that would be with an executive director. Yeah. Um, so that is the, the next thing we are going to try. And for that, we are kind of building things that have to be solved before, you know, for example, how we make decisions, how we um, define the the salaries in a collective way. So we are building those um, steps that are before taking this this experiment, starting this experiment. So it's like the it's definitely the next phase of kind of collective participative decision making and really honing back down onto that decentralization that you mentioned earlier. It's so yeah. I can't wait to hear more about that and how you go on that journey. Thank you so much, Maho, for joining me today. Is there any anything that you'd like to share? Any parting words of wisdom for our audience on today's? Um, no, I would uh, invite uh, people to uh, to get closer to to NGOs, government teams, and well, philanthropic funds, and and to learn how they are organizing, and um, and if possible, suggest uh, these teams to self organize. You know, and <laughs> so I would, uh, invite people to contribute there. That is a great, like, there's so much to do, especially, well, in, in both sectors, you know, in the third, uh, sorry, in the three sectors, in NGOs, governments, and philanthropic funds, I think there's still a long way to go regarding self-managing mm. management. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much, Maho, for joining me today. And I've I've put all of the information about Cuba Dilly in the show notes so that people can come and find out what you're doing. But thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. Thank you, Lizzie, for having me. 
You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.